RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. And actually, for the, in the same physical space for probably five or six episodes or, or more, it's, it's been a while since we've been in RFC Studios, in the same physical space with me as always is Brian. Hey, y'all. And Mike. Hey, Dusty. So here we are back in RFC Studios looking each other in the face in the same room. Feels good. I feel so, the energy. I feel the energy. It feels alive. So today we're talking about a game that we played just a few days ago. So our, our most recent Savage Worlds East Texas University game. So in this game, you guys had engaged with the Wilderness Girls, Troop 616 at the end of the, of the last session. And in this session, you made good on your promise and you went looking for those two missing members of Troop 616 that had been lost in Crenshaw's woods. Let's start off with the ratings. I actually asked for the ratings as soon as the last session ended and everyone but Brian gave the session an eight. Brian, talk about your slightly more complicated rating. I was super distracted. I wasn't feeling well. I was getting over... Um what the doctor said was probably the early the stages plague. of pneumonia. And like immediately before that, actually overlapping, it was the norovirus. Uh, so I just felt awful. And um, I had that and like kids screaming in the other room. I was super distracted. Uh, and it just like I was having a hard time tracking to what was going on in the game. Uh, but once I was no longer distracted, it was awesome. Uh, I gave it like a nine for the, the latter third of the game. But um, honestly, yeah, I was I just had too much stuff going on at the at the time with the uh, with the uh, uh, first two thirds or so. Now, Brian, I didn't share this thought with you at the time, but when you shared that on Thursday, it took me aback, and I was like, "Well, why are you punishing the game for your personal you're distraction?" Ex- you're exactly right. Um, but so, and this is a lesson with feedback, everyone. When someone gives you feedback, even if you're knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, that's not fair. They missed the point. Or that's not fair. That, that, that's really out of context. Just take it. Let it sit. Think on it. Let it mature in your thoughts over the next day or so. And I think it is perfectly fair to, to rate a game poorly due to the context of the game. Your personal context was a lot of distractions. Um, and, and that turns out to be valid feedback because it makes me think of, are there better ways I could run the game? Like, should I have like a PowerPoint slide up where I, you know, reveal points or have like, you know, put more notes in the chat so that if someone needs to step away and come back, I make it easier to re-engage with the session. I mean, I totally, I totally understand that. Like, no, in this case, like I probably should have just said, hey guys, I'm not feeling well. I shouldn't do this. But I want, like, we missed the prior game because of me. I want, I, well, me and Chris, uh, I couldn't do it because I, I think it was sick. Uh, then I was still sick two weeks later and I wanted to be there, but like, I just was suffering. It was, it was, you know, I was not feeling well. Uh, and you know, it, it's not like this is a movie. I can't go back and re-experience this and get, give it a fair shake because really it's a one and done. So it, I, yes, I understand why you would say it's, it's a, va- it's valid feedback, but in this case, I really don't think it's valid feedback. I mean, I think that's entirely on me. I should have just said, guys, I'm not feeling well. 
uh, play without me. But really? You would have, you would have disengaged? Because, again, at the end, you had that nine experience. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but but to, the, to your point, though, or to what you said, I could potentially have been detracting from everybody else's play because I wasn't as engaged. I was muting the cough a lot. Um, it just, I don't think I was helping to create a, a, a good positive experience for you guys. I, I would say it's, it's almost okay in some circumstances to maybe not be 100% engaged, right? So I think your presence there helped bring it together overall, while in the beginning you might not have been 100% engaged as you were. In the end, you definitely came around and made a huge contribution to that game. And, and, and I was thankful you were there and I was thankful we didn't, you know, have to have the conversation of, do we do it without Brian? If Brian isn't here, who else has a good excuse not to be here? It gets delayed again, yada, yada, yada. And had I not been there, Nathan would have used my chainsaw and I couldn't have had that. That's absolutely true. And we could not have let that have happened. But I, I think sometimes it's okay to maybe come into the game, maybe give us a heads up that, hey, I'm not feeling great. I may not be 100% engaged, but I'm going to attempt to get through this. I also worry that if we wait until all five of us are feeling 95 to 100 percent, it's not going to happen. Yeah. The game will never happen. I mean, three of us have kids. And yeah. I have learned in the last two months that kids are germ factories and I expect to be at least for the first year or so constantly sick. So where's that cutoff where at what point are you sick enough or disengaged enough or distracted enough to actually bow out? versus powering through i mean like well the, it was easy for that one week that i missed i mean i was running at close to 102 degree fever yeah you, you yeah. could not I, do it i, I was yeah. asleep for like 36 straight hours yeah so i couldn't have done that but you know i i was able to make this one i mean uh i i've had to leave work sick like three times in the last two weeks and that's really rare for me welcome that to parenthood is. yeah <laughs> i know right? welcome to parenthood so uh yeah so um, yeah, this is a new normal for me and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I feel bad that we haven't gotten together to record the podcast in person and I'm going to make the commitment that I really want to continue doing that because I think it's good for us. And, you know, I think it'll be good for the kids to get used to people coming in and out doing this because this is my hobby and I don't want to, uh, or it's one of my hobbies and I don't want to, um, make it weird for them. Like I, I try to bring them in this, in the studio here so they can see the stuff. We're going to record some stuff in here. I want to, I, while they're not going to participate in our recording, I want, I want it to be familiar to them. Yeah, that's fair. And, and I think kind of back on that whole participation thing, I think that's one of the benefits of doing it remote, right? You can, you can be sick at a game and not be contagious. So I think to answer that cutoff line, it's, it, it's basically a line where you feel comfortable that at some point in the game you can contribute something, right? And where do you truly not detract from everyone else's fun? Right. And if you're a little bit less engaged, I think in general, other players will stand up and engage. Nathan, for the first time, and I'm jumping ahead a bit here, but oh well, Nathan, for the first time, really powered this session. He did a great job. Yeah. Nathan truly powered this session and, and made every investigation roll. And now, granted, he was the only character that had investigation. Yeah. But Nathan was the one engaging with every different scene of clues, asking about the clues, asking to look at things from different angles, asking to look at stuff like Nathan truly carried this. Yep. I agree with that. I think there were a couple of times he, he thought about going off into left field and even kind of reined himself back in to, to kind of stay on a, on a narrower path. Now, having said that, Chris's feedback was, you know, he enjoyed the game. He, he liked observing and listening, 
but his character did miss, quote, every action, end quote. So, I don't know, there's, there's still another, another I, I tweeted about this, gosh, months ago, about how if you're sick of perception checks, you know, ask the characters what they're looking for. And I did that with Nathan, I didn't do a great job of that with everyone, and Nathan was the only one that had investigate as a trained skill. I just worry that notice slash perception slash investigate becomes this go-to one-size-fits-all skill that becomes so important to the game. Like if I ever sit through a, if I, if I ever go to a con game and sit through a Savage World session, you better believe when they, they say, okay, which character do you want to play out of all these pregens? I'm going to look through every pregen and narrow it down to the ones that have investigate and pick between those two. Or if it's one, you better believe that's the one I'm playing. Yeah, because because my character has neither investigate or notice, right? I'm I'm literally just walking around with my head in my ass until I get a a hook to try and sell a car or punch something in the face. So, and you can make the unskilled roll. You yeah. can do the D four minus two. Oh, but you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna pass, well, but, right? Because pretty your, much everything needs a six. But you get your wild card. Yeah, everything everything needs a four. Oh yeah, four success. That's true. Everything needs a four. Um, you get your D six wild card. Yeah, with the unskilled roll, and you can the four can explode the D four. There's a twenty five percent chance of that D four exploding. Good point. The unskilled rolls are doable, and maybe that maybe I should have pointed that out in the session because clearly with I don't think we 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 don't have the system down. No, yeah. we don't. Not and, at I all. mean, you've and yeah, in this game, this is what game six five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's up there. Yeah. I mean, this is the first time that a Benny was spent. Yeah, truly by the DM, not by a player. Or did you? Did you I spend was, one? I was going to. You were going to. You didn't need to. But then we killed the big bad. Yeah. I don't even have an area in the show that's for combat. We should make. We should make sure we hit combat before we come back. We All right. Bringing it back to ratings. Um, Mike. So so I let Brian kind of sum up his thoughts, and then we jumped ahead. Let's let's go back. Sum up your overall thoughts for this game. Um, I thought it was a good, straightforward game. Um, there was a again a lot of driving done by Nathan, which I thought was was really good for a change, and was really good for the overall uh, temperament. Or temperature of the game, however you want to say that. Um, I also kind of liked, and I think we might talk about this a little bit later. I also kind of liked how you brought us back on track when we were coming up for nothing on zeros. Let's jump ahead with just ju- jump ahead for that. Okay, and if that's an important part of the game for you, let's just go ahead and cover it now. So, so tell me about that. Yeah. So basically, we were we were doing our investigation thing, and and I think we had uh, come to the point we were in the woods and found some pretty significant evidence or a clue or whatever you wanted to call it and uh we made the call to go back to the uh the, the wilderness girls you know to to get their input on what had happened and i, I think at that point we got kind of you stalled stalled yeah can i ask a question yeah so mike you didn't get you didn't say what the plot point was this is not based off of one sheet right no it's not so you can say so we found a dead body Okay, I didn't want to spoil anything. Sorry, I There's forgot no, yeah, this no, was no, original. No, yeah, this no was original content. Yeah. Okay. So I was using the whole the whole gumshoe thing. Yep. That Tanner turned us on to way back in the day, and I was giving you guys like, as you noticed when you showed up, I would just give you some clues. Yep. Here are things you just noticed that are obvious from the scene, and you can roll to get more. Yep. And Nathan would roll, and sometimes get more, and sometimes he wouldn't, and that was fine. But I made sure in just what I gave you, there was enough there. And there was a clue where, you know, that one of the dead bodies had been mauled to death by a zombie hound, and you guys found a dead zombie hound, and there were there were clues together there, which you did a great job of, and we'll cover that later. But one of the clues you missed was that the the zombie hound 
at the time it was crawling away, had already killed the victim and was crawling away. And you guys never thought to say, hey, where's it crawling to? Yeah. And then you moved on with a bunch of other clues. And I saw you get stuck. And you had been stuck for maybe two or three minutes. You had a couple conversations. You were stuck. I didn't let it go very long at all. Two or three yep. minutes. And then I jumped in and I said, hey, yep. you guys kind of missed a clue. Would you like me to tell you? Or do you want to try to make your own way through this? And all of you were instantly at once talking at the same time, like, please, God, tell us. Yes. Yes. And, and, and I think that. I think that overall made it a better game than some of the more recent games where we've had to struggle to find a way through it, right? Because, I mean, we're smart guys, right? We're we're, we're not dumb by any means, yeah, but it depends on the day. It depends on the day, but I mean, sometimes there, I, I think sometimes we just get to the point where we get a little frustrated. It's like, okay, we know eventually what we need to get to do, but doing the laundry to get there. It, it sometimes gets a little boring, a little frustrating. So I was very thankful that you threw us a bone and I didn't see that as a, a detraction at all. But I think I've become a lazy player in a lot of ways. I, I think that if I don't immediately get inspired or have a, have a thought that I don't want to put in the mental grind or the, not even the grind, just the, the mental work to, uh, to solve something. Sometimes, you know, if I'm not like immediately clever, I just don't care. I need to, I need to break that habit. So a couple things I do when I play in Mark's game, and, and honestly, when, when we play in Tanner's Holy Matrimony, I take notes. Regardless of what visuals are out there to help me, I take notes. And if I get stuck, I just take a second to read back through my notes. And, and that in Holy Matrimony and that in Martin's game, I'll go back and be like, oh, wait, what was that thing with the ruby? And Martin's like, yes, good call. Let's go back there. And, uh, and, and that really helps me, just taking notes and remembering what all we just covered, because you don't always, t- I mean, well, what makes RPGs great is that you almost never take a straight line hmm. to get to the end. Um, having said that, Brian, I'm not asking you to take notes. I don't like taking notes. Yeah, I hear you. I'm and- a lazy player. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm a lazy person. I don't take, I am not a note taker. Yeah, me neither. Having said the note taking thing, here's why I don't mind reminding you of clues as long as you tell me it's okay. I don't mind because your characters have the benefit of standing over the body in the woods, seeing the dead leaves and how stuff's been dragged through them, seeing everything, seeing all this stuff visually. Your characters have that. You have 30 seconds of rushed explanation of what you see with people talking over each other sometimes and people jumping in with questions that you didn't think of and then you get distracted. Whereas if you were standing there in the woods over the body, you'd be able to yourself, no matter what anyone's saying, wander over and look at whatever or look ahead or look back. So because your characters would have that benefit, I don't mind throwing reminders at you as long as it doesn't get too railroady. And as long as you guys don't think I'm trying to steer you down a path, I'm just trying to help you get unstuck by by pointing out things that your characters would know by virtue of experience. You know what the other thing was, too, is uh, I think in my head, my gamer brain took over and I was looking for twists. And when we had found the injured dog, the dying dog, my my gamer brain kicked in and is like, oh, well, this dog is injured and trying to crawl away. 
obviously it's trying to get to the other girl in order to save her. This dog's not a bad guy. This dog was their, their familiar, oh, you their did puppy friend. I did originally think that. So I, uh, I think I got hooked up around the, the second girl and, and trying to, to uh, deconstruct the mystery specifically around the second girl and ignoring the dog. So Mike says, girl, and, and I've talked about Troop 616. Let's talk about, let's talk about the, uh, the role play. Because yep. I got feedback from both you and Nathan that the role play was a little awkward because okay. I reminded you guys that you're dealing with, when you deal with Troop 616, you know, roughly 8 to 14-year-old girls. Now, they're really creepy and they speak in unison and they can do telepathy and they can do, what do you call it when you can move things in your mind? Telekinesis. Telekinesis, thank you. They can do all that stuff. So these are not, you know, quote-unquote normal little girls, but these are essentially little girls. And that made the role play awkward for Nathan, where he was like, oh, I'm an adult college student talking to an eight-year-old girl. This feels <laughs> weird. I would not do this in real life. I would never do this. Not unless the girl's troop master was present and I was teaching them something. And even then I, I would get out of there. And then you, you shared the same thing. Yep. So I think kind of what did it for me was at one point you had emphasized these are little girls, right? Because I was getting ready to go back and like lay down the truth. And I was like, yeah, we found your dead friends and one of them been burned at the stake. And what do you know about this? And there was a circle of salt, blah, 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 blah. And then you stepped in and it's like, these are little girls. And at that point in my head, it kind of like snapped. I was like, oh, oh crap. He's right. Because up until then I had in, I had in my head canon, you know, basically the shining twins, right? Shining twins. Yeah. They're little girls, but they're not little girls. They're 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 spectral. They're they're witches. They're potentially much older than their actual form belies, and that's what I had in my head that these were like, you know, some coven of supernatural entities who were under some form, and they weren't actually little girls. So when you reminded me that these are little girls, I was like, oh, they're little girls. Yeah. Do you? And, and again, I was doing the same exact thing. Your character has stood in front of this troop of girls. You've seen their parents pick them up. You've seen this stuff. Yeah. So would you really go back and report in gruesome detail what you found in Crenshaw's Woods? Yeah. and I'm was, kinda, it, was it too much? Should I not have done that? No, I'm kind of glad you did because it, it rehumanized them for me. In my head, I, I wasn't considering them as actual human little yes, girls. Yes, there you go. I wanted to tell the girls, you know, what we saw. We're, like, we're, we're, because in my mind, they're demonic little children. Yeah. And not actual demons in the form of children yeah demons in the form of children so like this story really helped ground me on who you know troop 616 the wilderness girls are they are really real little girls who just happen to be practicing magic which uh completely sort of reorients them as a as a i guess an entity in in the world for me so uh remember that for the for the old folks home they were trying to contain the problem of zombies by, by showing up and, and feeding these zombies. So they, they have been trying to act as this force of, you know, what do you call it when the Cub Scouts like do good in the neighborhood? Community service. Community service. Thank you. <laughs> so imagine trying to do community service in Pine Box, Texas, Pine Box, Texas. And what does that mean? It means feeding the zombies so they don't break out of the park at night and eat, <laughs> eat the neighbors. It's a weird big drive. It is a weird big drive, <laughs> but by God, that's what Pine Box calls for. Yeah. Was that it, Brian? Was that the point you were making? Yeah. All right. So 
we'll circle back for a lesson there. I also want to talk about the one-pager. So Troop 616 becoming a factor in our game. There's no one-sheet built around Troop 616. Troop 616 does not appear in the ETU book. Um, I sort of stole the idea of, you know, these demonic Girl Scouts, these uh, magic-practicing girls. Well, it comes from a couple of areas, actually. One is that I happen to love the really mediocre, frankly, 80s movie Troop Beverly Hills. (laughs) (laughs) That's a confession. You can take that as a confession. And then also, uh, there's another podcast that I listen to called Welcome to Night Vale. And in Welcome to Night Vale, there is a subchapter of the Girl Scouts that are really scary and interesting and weird. And I thought, oh, Pine Box needs an analog for that. So I, I took the idea from that other podcast combined with a few other things that I've watched throughout the years. But I, I went to Google Documents. I knew we were off script. We were, we were off the one-pagers. The game last time in the jail went so well because I got off the one-pagers. And I made my own one-pager using a resume template in Google Docs. My own characters, my own NPCs, my own quotes, my own monsters, the whole nine yards. And it, it left me freer to improv. And I wasn't referencing the one sheet. And I could let the game flow more easily. And I'm not saying one sheets are bad. I'm not saying pre-written adventures are bad. I'm saying they're bad for me. And I can run a better game if I design the adventure. And I need to internalize that and stop trying to make my campaigns easier by leveraging pre-written stuff because it just doesn't work for me that that's an interesting lesson that's um and that's certainly going to impact your your prep time from game to game right not really i mean components yeah i i I certainly will steal components of stuff i've talked about that i've said steal 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 right so if i steal and and assemble my own components i understand my franken adventure inside and out but the pre-written a to z everything's included i just don't I just don't get it. It doesn't resonate with me. So did you guys notice a difference in how the adventure flowed? How? Yeah. yeah. So how? Yeah. Like, how'd that feel from your side of the table? It fell smooth. The last two adventures, I think, so far have been the best adventures in, in this campaign, if we're being quite honest. It felt more like a, um, a realized vision of something uh, where the others, they, I, they didn't flow well. Uh, things didn't make sense sometimes. Uh, like char- like character names because you didn't write it and you just repurposed like literally just basically read from it like sometimes character names were reused I'm like was well, this that person no it's just the same name which I mean happens in real life you're not saying in this game you're saying in previous games previous games yeah the one, no, there, there's two Maggies yeah like w- working off the 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 one, the one sheet. sheets um so like yeah and like even the one that I enjoyed so much that took place in the radio station I mean there's things about that that just didn't make sense. And yeah. it's because Dusty didn't sit down and craft it himself. Uh, and yeah, I, it, it made way more sense. It, it, it flowed better. Uh, and for me, it's just down, like, comes down to like, how logical is it? Like, is it logically consistent? So, like, the way that when the game flows and it's logical, I am more willing to suspend disbelief when Dusty crafts it himself than when something like pops up that just doesn't resonate or doesn't make sense you know dusty loves to use the word uh verisimilitude uh when just something doesn't just doesn't quite work i i get i i get taken out sometimes uh i've really enjoyed the last couple games in that respect i've got another angle too 
was did we have a combat encounter last game? Was there a big bad? And the previous no, you game, were you were just in the jail and you talked your way out. Yeah, that's right. I was trying to think maybe maybe the reason this feels smoother is that it was I don't want to say linear, but it was almost a more linear progression from solving to combat encounter with a big bad. And I was trying to think maybe that was a a common theme, but yeah, I guess not. Felt linear to you, but you guys were all over the board. Yeah, we were. But I'm glad it felt linear. It's my job to make it feel linear. Yeah, that's so good. Perfect. Um, Last thing I want to talk about before combat, the holy water. So, Mike, I kind of threw a clue out where the dying hellhound seemed burned and blistered, but not charred, not blackened. And then the body that you found had this canteen that was filled with water. And... I meant for you guys to work out, and, and in fact, you would have with a better roll, but no one made the roll. I meant for you to work out that it's holy water, giving you a, a huge clue into the weaknesses of the enemies. And it turns out you did figure that out, but you just you never shared it until that last encounter. Talk to me about, about your thought process. I didn't actually put one and one together until that last encounter, right? So in, until he called his two dogs out and we added those dogs to the encounter. I, I didn't have it put fully together, but as soon as those two dogs came out, I remembered back to your clue of saying the other dog looked like it had acid burns on the bottom of its stomach. And then I was like, oh, this canteen has holy water. And I was actually afraid that I had given the canteen back to the wilderness girls when we were talking to them, but it turned out I still had it on me. And you were able to use it to, to, to just kill one of the dogs flat out. Yeah, it was like insta-kill. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't click with me. It, it, even after Mike did it, I'm like, oh, okay. But because I, I just have to share this because you don't get a chance to say this that often. About 36 hours after a game, uh, my niece, who is 24, was telling me about an uh, experience about 10, 12 years ago when she had to live with an older cousin for a couple of weeks. And the older cousin was cuckoo and actually used holy water on her and her brother whenever she felt that they were misbehaving as some sort of measure to a punishment or something. So it was just kind of weird that that happened to pop up within, you know, less than two days of, so it didn't, it didn't kill her. The game was prophetic. Yeah. The game was, you know, the game was prophetic. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, you got, you got to pay attention to things like that. It's a sign. Uh, but, uh, it's, yeah, but with her, it didn't kill her. It didn't like, didn't drop, didn't leave any burns, didn't drop her AC, her AC <laughs> or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, she, she said it was very annoying. That, that sounds annoying. So that's why I really like the, the whole gumshoe system of these clues that you get for free, because I knew I was going to give you the acid burn wounds for free, and I gave you the canteen for free. Yep. And then with a roll, I would have connected those two dots for you. But you missed the roll. But thanks to the fact that I'd given you these two disparate clues, you were still able to piece it together. What an awesome vindication of, of the gumshoe method of giving out clues. What an awesome vindication for my gamer brain. Yeah, true that. <laughs> all, all this inventory that you pick up. All right, let's talk briefly about combat. Holy God. <laughs> the, the, the monster never freaking touched you guys. Nope. I specifically, well, I say I made the monsters earlier. I said I made them myself. I kind of stole them from, from a, a one sheet, not a one sheet, a, a, a test drive of Savage Worlds called The Wild Hunt. And I stole what ultimately became the the zombie priest, the zombie Carolingian. And I meant for him to be pretty tough. I, you know, I gave him the bennies. I gave him, you know, he had, he had three damage instances. He had the wild card die, the whole nine yards. 
I meant for uh, he had a pretty. I I actually upped his toughness by one and his parry by one. Wow! Trying to make him tougher, and he did not. You, you guys got him shaken before it was his turn, and he'd already burned up a Benny. I found out later I actually could have burned another Benny. You can burn Bennies as often as you want. I thought it was one per turn. Oh. So if I could go back, I would just have burned another Benny to, to shake, shake to, the, get, to, to, get, to get rid of that shaking. So I was pretty okay. sure that it wasn't because in the game that we played, the guy just literally burned the like Bennies. Bennies, yeah. Hey, it was my first time using yeah. a Benny. Yeah. No, that's, that's Six okay. sessions then. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> um, you still, two rounds of combat. This, this, my big bad is dead. His two zombie dog pets are dead. And I still have failed to hurt you or put you in any kind of danger whatsoever. Oh, God. I've got to do better. I've got to do better than that. I didn't even have to use my gun. I know. I did have the moment that I've been waiting for this whole time. Yeah. I've been waiting. And I told you guys when it happened, I said, okay. I said, you guys are acting really blase about getting your weapons before you got into the woods. But I just want to point out that for 12-year-old Dusty, this is a huge moment. This is the moment in Rambo First Blood Part 2 and then later Rambo 3 where Rambo gears up. This is the moment in Monster Squad when the kids finally face facts and say, okay, well, we're not stupid. We know how to kill werewolves. We know how to kill vampires. Let's make some silver bullets and carve some stakes, and let's get serious. You guys had that moment, finally, where you armed yourself to the teeth. Brian, Alex got his chainsaw for the first time Mm -hmm. to head out into the woods. It was very satisfying, I got to admit. Oh, man. And you guys totally glossed over it. And I had to stop the game and say, guys, time out. Wait a minute. This is huge, huge moment for me. So all in all, I enjoyed the session too. Lessons, so tying it all together with lessons that we learned, I'd say the lesson learned here isn't to make your own adventures. It, it is for me. For you, it's do whatever prep works for you. Whatever keeps you engaged at the table, do that. Whatever keeps you disengaged, don't do that. Don't bring stuff in you have to reference if you're not going to you know, totally memorize it beforehand and internalize it. And I just don't do that with adventures. I can't. I have a mental block about it. So prep. Do the prep you want to do. Role play. If the role play, I don't even know what to say about the awkward role play. I'm going to gloss over that one because I, I think that not, not, be, not really being anything wrong with that. No. It, it's, it's good that it was awkward. It, it, it means it felt real. I think the lesson there is help keep your players grounded in the characters they're interacting with, right? Yeah. Give them the context that their characters would have by being there. Yep. Okay. That's good. The same is true for that moment of the investigation where I where I reminded you of a clue that you missed. Again, ground your player characters, ground your players in the context that their characters would have by virtue of being there. And then uh, clues. You know, make sure, look into, read up on, you know, really check out the system in, of gumshoe for how they give out primary and secondary clues. You know, look, it's really helped my investigation games a lot. So think about clues and make sure you give away some clues for free. Overall, great game. I enjoyed it. You guys enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.